is the Entertainment Beyond Podcast with your host, Jensen Dean Jackson and Alan Weinstein, bringing you all things relevant in pop culture and entertainment. We will be with you weekly, at least, talking about movies, politics, music, and all things in between. So check us out. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another rousing edition of the Soloverse Entertainment Beyond. Once again, I am your one and only host, Jensen, the motherfucking beautiful, majestic Dean Jackson, fresh off of birthday 33 and feeling free as fuck, guys. Now, if you listened to the last uh, episode, you'd know that I am on my own. A man without a palo, palo. A man without a paddle, uh, without a paddle, paddle down Shit's Creek. However, the fuck the saying goes. Anyways, I'm in a bit of a holding pattern until uh, Mr. Entertainment Beyond gets back from his vacation. So I, I figured I'd just hit you guys up style with some more news because who doesn't like the news? And before we get into today's episode i want to tell you that this podcast is unofficially sponsored by by block 15 brewing company name of the beer is sticky hands the hop experience ale it's one pint 8.1 percent alcohol Ooh, looks like we're gonna have another jensen gets shitty on the podcast hold on a second block 15 get those hands sticky while you're drinking Oh, oh, that's tasty. Very tasty. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump into the first piece of news we have here today. And for any of you crow heads out there, this one might be just a little bit of a pickle tickle for you. First bit of news is that Master and Commander is going to get a prequel. The announcement of a prequel to Master and Commander contained little in the way of story or casting details except that the new installment might be based on the first novel in the Aubrey Martin series. If so, it could see Captain Jack Aubrey taking on his first command in the British Royal Navy and developing a friendship with Dr. Martin, Marturn, Marturin, I don't know how you say that last name, as this would place the story early in the sailor's career. It's unlikely Crow or Paul Bettany would reprise their roles. There's plenty that the movie and potential sequels could adapt and follow in the Patrick O'Brien series. So I never, I never saw Master and Commander. I do know it's a Disney movie. I know a lot more about it than, than I think anybody who would have not seen it. I know it's a, it's a Russell Crowe movie. I know it's a, it's also a Disney movie, and I know that it's it has a strong following. There's a lot of people who love that shit. Why it never got a sequel, I'm not completely sure. But at the same time, it's like, why would I care? Because I I don't really have any interest in seeing this movie. Nothing personal. It's just that certain things don't appeal to me. And uh, a boat without a hoe just ain't appealing to me. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like even without Russell Crowe, 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 Russell Crowe, without Russell Crowe or Paul Bettany, they still have a chance to be successful with it. You know, it, it's a name that people know. And when people see something that they know, they'll be like, fuck yeah, bruh. Gonna go see it, dude. 
So, yeah, that's all. And on to the next headline. It's a little bit of news uh, about a movie from yesteryear. Scary Movie's planned Jamie Lee Curtis cameo. Scary Movie has a long list of references to various horror movies, and it almost had what could have been its most epic cameo, cameo, all thanks to Jamie Lee Curtis. Here's what happened. The horror genre went through a what's went through what's considered its best decade in the 80s and struggled to remain afloat in the 90s. And by the following decade, things had changed in the genre. The audience started to look for different content. The 2000s saw an emergence of parody movies. And one of the most notable titles in this trend, in this trend is Scary Movie. Directed by Keenan Ivory Waynes and released in 2000, Scary Movie is a comedy horror that serves as one big parody of multiple genres, mostly horror and mystery. And as such, it includes numerous references and Easter eggs of popular horror movies at the time. However, this doesn't mean that Scary Movie didn't have a story. And it followed Cindy Campbell, who on one night with, a, with her friends ended up being involved in a crime. One year later, they began being stalked and a mysterious person. You already know the fucking story. Let's cut to the meat and potatoes. Scary Movie was written by Sean Waynes and Marlon Waynes, who also played Ray Wilkins and Shorty Meeks, respectively with Buddy Johnson and Phil Bowman as part of the process of writing a movie. The script goes through various rewrites until the rights are... Well, what the fuck is this shit? Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. And it was during... They go through rewrites, blah, blah, and it was during... Fuck. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it seems once again... Without a co-host, I am just a complete shit show. The original script reportedly featured a cameo by none other than Jamie Lee Curtis, and it would have referenced one of her most memorable scenes in John Carpenter's Halloween in a very scary movie way. Curtis played Laurie Strode, blah, blah, fucking blah. Okay. So at one point in the movie, she ends up hiding in a closet where she takes a coat hanger and takes a coat... Ta- takes a coat hanger that she later uses to stab Michael Myers in the eye when he breaks in the closet. Now the cameo scary movie had planned for Jamie Lee Curtis would have seen Cindy fighting Curtis most likely in full in full Laurie Strode mode hiding out in the same closet while Cindy was running away from the killer. Unfortunately, this was eventually cut out of the movie and there were no other direct references to Halloween Laurie Strode in the movie with Cindy simply running away from the killer through the house while mocking other movies in the process of the course. While this cameo apparently, cameo appearance by Jamie Lee Curtis in reference to Halloween would have been fun to watch, it was perhaps the best decision to leave them out of Scary Movie. Although the first movie parodies fear horror movies than the sequels did, adding one more to the list would have been a bit too much, which is what happened with the rest. Cindy finding Laurie hiding in the closet is a fun idea, but it will only live in the imagination of horror fans. There is such a deep story behind Scary Movie. I'm sorry for all my, you know, can't get my mouth working, apparently. Um, I encourage you guys, anybody who's ever wondered what the fuck happened in the Scary Movie franchise and why the Wayans, like, did the Wayans quit? No, they didn't quit. Uh, Gross-ass Harvey Weinstein, the Weinstein rapists, I mean brothers. I meant brothers. I meant the Weinstein brothers, rapists. I meant brothers. I really meant the Weinstein rapists. God damn it, I can't stop doing that. I meant to say brothers, rapists. Anyways, the Weinsteins, they fucked them out of the deal. You know, go fucking figure. 
fucked them over big time. Go go Google it. Because I thought for the longest time they just gave it up. Like, man, it, the shit kind of got whack once the brothers left, but whatever. On to the next story. On to the next one. On to the next. Okay. Scrubs creator open to reboot, but doesn't think it'll happen soon. Bill Lawrence, who is the creator of Scrubs, is open to a reboot of the series, but is unsure when that would happen. The hit medical comedy premiered in 2001 on NBC, where it ran for seven seasons, and on NBC for its last, or, or I'm sorry, and on ABC for its last two. The series follows the lives of the Sacred Heart hospital staff through a narration of John Dorian, JD played by Zach Braff. Scrubs also starred Chuck, Den- Donald Faison, John C. McGinley, Ken Jennings, Ken Jenkins, Neil Flynn, and Judy Reyes. The show's humor stems from its fun-loving, energetic characters, sharp writing, and the the voiceovers, and surreal, exaggerated fantasies of the main characters, most notably J.D. Lawrence has created numerous successful television shows, including Spin City, Cougar Town, and the current hit Ted Lasso. Scrubs is Lawrence's most popular and well-known show out of his completed series, Garning him two Emmy nominations for Outstanding Comedy Series for the show. He has previously reunited sorry, some of the cast members of Scrubs on Cougar Town as different characters, where fans got to catch up with one of the characters from the series, Ted Buckland, played by the late Sam Lloyd. In an interview, in an interview with Variety, Lawrence stated that he would be open to rebooting Scrubs, but that it is not as much for necessity rather than for desire. While many cast members of Scrubs have kept busy since the show ended, many have commented interest in a revival should the opportunity arise when somebody would be available. Lawrence's complete statement on the revival can be heard as such. My Scrubs answer has been that those people on the show are so talented that we all said as a group that no one's in economic hardship. So we don't need to reboot it. But if five years from now, everybody's like, hey, let's get together and do something and see where all these characters are. Because we haven't gotten to spend any time together as human beings, we'd do it. So I would say I'm not living in the reboot world except for personal reasons. Scrubs has previously had a certain kind of reboot for its final season. Season 8 was meant to be the show's last with a closing double-length final finale concluding the main character stories however the series was renewed for season nine while some of the main cast members returned on a full capacity like Faison and McGinley the show had a completely different cast that included Carrie Bish Dave Franco and Michael Mosley as medical students Bish's character Lucy Bennett took over the narrator's perspective from Braff's JD it's all but certain that should Scrubs come back for a revival that it would feature the original cast for the first eight seasons that commented that I'm sorry that cemented Lawrence Lawrence as a magnet for a television comedy. While Lawrence has said that it would probably probably be a long time before that cast will get back together for a revival, the fan support for the show has continued to hold up. And in the culture of numerous revivals and reunions, it would be interesting to see what the characters of Scrubs are up to. And I'm going to have to agree with that last statement. It would be pretty interesting to see what they had gotten up to. I I remember watching the uh, 
what was supposed to be. It was odd because they called it a series finale. And then the shit with uh, Dave Franco was, it was like a spinoff or some shit. I mean, you brought back some of the original characters. That's why I remember myself watching it because they brought back uh, McGinley and Faison and whatnot. I was really disappointed they bring back Braff or his on-again, off-again girlfriend. Can't remember the actress's name. I'm sorry for that. Um, I mean, why the fuck not, right? Everything's getting a reboot. Even shit that's like, they're rebooting that? Okay, let's go with that. So, I, I'm down for it. You know, I'm ready to scrub up and uh, get a reboot on. You know, whatever. Let's do it. Hollywood seems to have this sick fascination where it's almost like there is no well of creativity, you know, because that's what it takes to, to make it a completely wholly original IP or something that hasn't been done. It's not a sequel. It takes creativity. But Hollywood has this weird fetish with continuing to just reboot, reimagine and rework shit, you know. Because some of us consumers are a bit stupid, you know. You can you can sell most people the same thing 20 times before they start realizing, like, hey, wait a minute. Me, I'll, I'll pick it up. But that's because I'm, you know, I, I watch too much, you know. I, I, I've just consumed so much that I've become um, pessimistic about entertainment to a certain degree. Speaking of being entertained, I am entertaining myself with this independent artisan beer by Block 15, Sticky Hands, the unofficial sponsor of tonight's episode. Hop in the experience of ale. Sip into the experience of ale. Be that experience of ale. Block 15, Sticky Hands. Get you a can. Get your hands on these cans. That's really good shit. That is good beer. Okay, speaking of pessimism and darkness, my next piece, and we don't talk about books enough, so I thought this was perfect, and this is news, you know, because I didn't know this shit. The headline reads, Darth Vader killed a Jedi Master to create a Sith light lightsaber. I am me and my fucking words today. After Emperor Palpatine executed Order 66 and slaughtered countless Jedi in the Star Wars universe, Darth Vader was tasked with killing a surviving Jedi Master who avoided the attack, which led to him acquiring his first lightsaber as a Sith. In Darth Vader from Marvel Comics, it was revealed Vader ha was given a deadly assignment to kill Karak Infilia, I'm saying that name completely wrong, and steal the kyber crystal from his blade, one that he almost failed to complete. Darth Vader's red lightsaber is one of the most iconic weapons in pop culture history. The Sith Lord has used the lightsaber in some of his greatest duels ever, including against his own son Luke Skywalker in their battle on Cloud City, as well as versus his former Padawan in Ahsoka Tano on Mandalore, or on Malachor. While the hilt of Darth Vader's lightsaber has since been destroyed and rebuilt, the kyber crystal inside the weapon came from a, mass, a master Jedi who was one of the few survivors of Order 66. When Vader sought out the crystal, he nearly died trying to get it from the powerful Jedi. Upon encountering Karak, a Jedi Master who took the Barash vow and isolated himself to focus solely on the Force, Vader reveals his intent to slay the warrior. The two engage in an epic fight, which ends with Infila's force, Infila force pushing Vader off of a cliff to his apparent death. However, Vader survives the attack. 
returning the next issue to break a dam and flood an entire city in order to kill numerous innocent civilians and distract his Jedi opponent long enough to gain the upper hand. Triumphant, Vader is able to take and fill his crystal. Darth Vader is instructed by Palpatine to return to Mustafar, where he is told to draw upon his own energy to corrupt the kyber crystal from within and make it bleed. The reason Sith lightsabers have red blades, after experiencing a vision and rejecting his past to further embrace the dark side, Vader returns to Palpatine and reveals he succeeded in turning the lightsaber red. The comic shows that Vader went to the great went to great lengths to acquire the kyber crystal and create his own Sith lightsaber. He nearly died on the battle against Kirak, but ultimately he found the strength to continue on and kill the Jedi Master and his entire city for all for a Sith weapon. And, uh, fuck, man, it's pretty dark shit. If anybody was ever wondering, I suppose, now now my queries about how Vader's lightsaber came to be have been, um, washed. That's, uh, geez, you know, people talk about no one being beyond redemption. I mean, Vader killed younglings. So, I mean, I feel like once you reach the point of being a child killer mm, there's nothing that's gonna bring you back you know you've already you've already gone over the edge you know for me it's uh yeah once you murder children like there's no redemption for you buddy you you know so uh, it's not surprising that vader would sink to such depths as murdering a bunch of innocent people just to build a lightsaber but that's, uh, this is the Sith way. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Next, we're going to take it to the fucking 80s. We're going to go back. We're going to get back. We're going to get back in the DeLorean. We're going to hit the flux capacitor. And Marty, we're going to the fucking 80s. I don't know why I was trying to do a fucking Christopher Walken impersonation when Doc Brown wasn't portrayed by Christopher Walken. But we're going to go with it because this... Block 15, Sticky Hands has got me a little tipsy. And so, our next headline, the Rambo 2 role Dolph Lundgren was rejected for. Here's the role Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren almost played in Rambo 2, or Rambo First Blood Part 2. First Blood proved to be a surprise success for Sylvester Stallone, who at one point was so horrified by the movie's messy first cut, he offered to buy the negative so he could destroy it. After some extensive re-edits, the movie became a taut thriller grounded by Stallone's great performance. The second movie took a very different approach from First Blood's relatively grounded tone and action, however. In crafting Rambo First Blood Part Two, Stallone decided it was time to see the title character do what he does best as he returns to Vietnam, which is wage war. This translates to the character unleashing hell on his various foes with everything from explosive-tipped arrows to helicopter gunships. The movie's bombastic action sequences made it a huge success, while Rambo himself while Rambo himself has become an iconic action hero. <laughs> Rambo 2 was released in 85, the same year as Rocky IV. Sorry, I don't do Roman numerals, as you know from the last fucking episode. Which pits Stallone's title character against hulking Soviet boxer Ivan Drago. Outside of a brief, wordless appearance in Bond adventure, a view to a kill. Drago was Dolph Lundgren's, 
Dolph Lundgren's first movie role, and it made him a star overnight. However, he actually went up for both Rambo, First Blood Part Two, and Rocky IV, and ended up landing roles in both. Some sources erroneously state he was cast as hammy Russian villain Lieutenant Colonel Podvatsky, who would be played by Steven Burkoff. But he actually landed the role of his henchman, Sergeant Yushin. Lundgren revealed in a chat with Yahoo, he first landed the Yushin role, who is another near-mute, hulking Russian who tortures Rambo and later fights him in a helicopter. When Lundgren was eventually cast as Drago after a long search, he was later removed from the Yushin role, while actor Voyo Gorik ended up playing it. That was probably a wise choice because while Yushin was a smaller role, the two characters are a little too similar. Plus, Rocky IV's, geez, Rocky IV, that's what Ivy means. Rocky IV's Drago proved to be a career-making part for Lundgren, so it worked out in the end. Stallone and Dolph have reunited many times in recent years, which includes Expandables, Trilogy, blah, blah, you know the rest. So, I'm just going to keep it all the way tall with y'all. I have only seen, like, what was it, Rambo Four, the one which is like, this is really gross. I don't want to watch this. This seems kind of racially charged and just straight racist. Uh, so I, I, I'm not the uh, the biggest um, aficionado when it comes to, to Rambo. But I do think it's interesting that Dolph Lundgren screen tested for both Rambo Part 2 and Rocky 4 and got both the roles, you know, starring somewhat. Well, one starring opposite Sly Stallone, the other one you know, fighting opposite sliced alone. I do think that, though, with the description and the way that they put it out there, I just think, yeah, that was a smart decision. I think if he would have gotten both roles, it would have been cool for them for him as a first-time actor, but it might have, the role in, in Rambo Part Two probably would have muted some of the success of uh, Rocky IV. So in my humble, just some random fucker regurgitating news that I've picked off the internet in my humble opinion i think it was a smart decision on dolph lundgren's part to well i don't think it was his actually wasn't his decision whoever you know but it was it was it was a good it was a good uh good good pick to not have him in that role excuse me while i uh light up real quick stoke the fires of creativity and we'll move on to the next headline Next headline reads as such. The Pale Blue Eyes casts Harry Potter star as Edgar Allan Poe. Harry Melling, who played Dudley Dursley in several of the Harry Potter films, is now taking on the role of young of young Edgar Allan Poe. Poe. Jesus, yeah, Edgar Allan Poe. Fucking Jesus Christ, Jensen. No, Edgar Allan Poe. For Netflix's The Pale Blue Eyes. And I just want to say that Harry Melling was last seen as the prickish, dickheadish villain in The Old Guard, starring uh, Charlize Theron. But anyways, back to this. Uh, the adaption, which has also already cast Christian Bale. Belling is no stranger to Netflix, okay? We're about to say that. Oh no, this is a different one, I guess. Uh, he recently acted alongside Anya Taylor-Joy in the streaming services hit drama miniseries The Queen's Gambit. Gambit, not Gamnit. Melling can also be seen in a couple other Netflix projects, including The Old Guard, as I mentioned, and The Devil All the Time. 
man, sounds like they got like some kind of sweet deal going on over there, Netflix. Uh, per deadline, Melling is teaming up with Netflix yet again to play Poe in the year 1830, more than a decade before the renowned poet would go on to write the classic poem, The Raven. Louis Baynard's novel, also titled, titled The Pale Blue Eyes, is serving as inspiration for this upcoming murder mystery film. In the novel, Poe is a cadet at West Point who helps Detective Augustus Landor, Bale, investigate another cadet's death. Scott Cooper will be directing Melling and Bale in the film adaption of The Pale Blue Eyes, or The Pale Blue Eye. Cooper and Bale will also be producers on the film, with John Lesher and Tyler Thompson Cooper. And Bale has already established a working relationship prior to The Pale Blue Eye. Cooper directed Bale in 2013's Out of the Furnace and again in 2017's Hostiles. Cooper has been working to bring Baynard's mystery novel to life for more than 10 years. He's a decade, man. That's amazing. After a decade, he finally achieves his goal. Anyways, and it's finally starting to come together now that the two leading actors have been selected. And there you have it. That's the end of that little piece of news. And like I was saying in the middle of towards the end of that article, it's amazing. That's truly, if, if there's anything you can you can learn from that piece of news, ladies and gentlemen, it's that don't ever fucking give up on your dreams. Don't ever give up on your dreams. I didn't know until, you know, a couple years ago that Morgan Freeman didn't get his first starring role, I think, until he was like close to 50. So don't give up on your dreams, ladies and gentlemen. You might have to set them aside. You might have to put them on the back burner for a little while. You might have to bench them in, in uh, sports terms, but you should never give up. If it's worthwhile to you, don't ever give up on your dreams. Keep on trucking along, and eventually you'll find your time, as as this director of this movie found his time with Netflix, Bale, and Harry Melling. And congratulations to Harry Melling. You know, when, you, when you're doing YA adaptions, you find this out, you know, quite often. So when you're doing YA, YA, adap- YA adaptions, not all those actors, which whether it's a big role or it's a small role, you're still doing a part. You're still doing a fantastic fucking job acting. A lot of those people don't really come off of it successfully. You know what I'm saying? They don't really... You don't really see him doing other acting roles. Whether it's a personal choice or whatnot, I'm not sure. But it's good to see that someone who was, he was integral to the books. But in terms of movies, it was, you know, here and there and then kind of never seen again. So it's, it's, it's good to see that young man acting. And uh, he's kind of got, you know, slap a fucking mustache on the fucker. And, you know, I can see him as young Poe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a few, and you know, let's, you know, why don't we just wobble lobba dub dub you know, touch some Terry Flaps, because this next piece of news is, while fans eagerly, eagerly, while fans eagerly wait for season five of Rick and Morty to drop later this month, the show's producers let's the show's producer lets loose that the trippy sci-fi comedy will eventually be made into a movie. Season 5 of Rick and Morty was announced back in July of 2020 and is part of a long-term deal from May of 2018 in which 70 new episodes were ordered over an unspecified number of seasons. 
The newest season will consist of 10 episodes and will premiere on June 20th, 2021. Rick and Morty is an animated sci-fi sitcom created by Justin Roiland and Dan, Dan Harmon, centered on the various adventures of the Smith household. Yada, 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 yada. Uh. As told to Metro, Rick and Morty producer Scott Martyr says that a movie will happen at some point. Martyr sat down with writer Dan Harmon and actress Spencer Grammer, the voice of Summer, for a roundtable interview. The trio discussed the possibilities of making their show jump to the big screen. Martyr is quoted as saying, It'd be daunting. I wouldn't be shocked if there was that. If there was that. Oh my God. It'd be daunting. I wouldn't be shocked if there was one that comes down the pipe one day. I feel like every episode is a movie. I'd like to see what a movie would be. I feel like we pack so much in. I'd have to be. It'd have to be pretty epic. While a Rick and Morty movie has not been officially confirmed, nor is it in any form of production, creator Justin Roiland has fueled the rumors by saying that it's more a question of when and not if. During the roundtable interview, Grammer explained her idea of how a full-length film could work by offering up the possibility of a 3D interactive movie, or even a 4D-style flick like the ones featured in theme parks. Recall Shrek 40 at Universal Studios. Though the plans for a film still appear to be in talks, the show's future on the small screen seems to be set, with Harmon mentioning that Season 7 is already in the works, long before the, the show's sixth season has even set, has even yet to make it to the air. Based on the critical and commercial success of Rick and Morty, that Rick and Morty has seen over the last few years, it really comes as no surprise that a movie is being planned for later down the pipeline, the show has been praised for its interactive story, or I'm sorry, inventive storylines, entirely original sense of humor. So it'd be really interesting to see what the creative team behind Rick and Morty could pull off for a full-length movie on the big screen. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I'm also, besides having, you know, one hell of a tongue-twisting fucking time, I'm also dealing with some fucking allergies, too. So my nose is all stuffed the fuck up. I don't know if that's translating from my mouth to the microphone but yeah i am one stuffy nosed son mcgun so i do apologize if i sound you know super nasally or whatnot i'm not doing it on a purpose i'm not trying a fucking accent i've just got some allergies and on to the next one after an a sip from our unofficial sponsor block 15 Brewing Company, Sticky Hands, The Hop Experience Ale, one pint, 8.1% alcohol volume content, ladies and gentlemen. Sip the ale, be the ale, stick with the ale, get your hands on these cans. I don't understand how I was ever drinking PBR. I don't get it. But what I am going to get is this next article, motherfucker. Warner Bros. Yeah, you know those bastards. And DC Films' Blue Beetle live-action movie will reportedly release on HBO Max, which, uh, uh, let me read the rest of the article and give you my hot take on that. Fans of DC Comics have experienced live-action films for decades, but it has only been in recent years that heroes not named Batman or Superman 
have been given a chance to lead their own films. The DCEU strategy brought dozens of movies into development featuring a wide range of characters. While not every film moved forward, characters like Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Harley and Harley Quinn have become significant stars. One of the recent DC Comics characters to receive a solo movie announcement is Jaime Reyes as a.k.a. Blue Beetle. Warner Bros. and DC Films have began developing a film centered around the young Mexican-American hero in early 21. It was announced that Charm City Kings director Angel Manuel Soto would helm Blue Beetle, the DCEU's first movie starring a Latino hero. Fans of Jaime were immediately excited about the prospect of a Blue Beetle movie, even though it's not clear when it will happen or how it will be released. According to a new report from LA Times, Warner Bros. and DC Films, Warner Brothers and DC Films are planning for Blue Beetle to release on HBO Max. The news comes as part of a rundown of HBO Max future following the merger between Warner Bros. and Discovery. Blue Beetle is one of many mid-budget DC movies now reportedly heading to the streaming service. The studio does not confirm this, and the standalone film does not yet have a release date. So, if I was in a boardroom looking at other studio executives, I would say to them, did we not learn anything from fucking Black Panther? Good God, I am so stuffed up. What are they fucking thinking? Okay, like I don't, I don't understand this because this, this is how I'm seeing this. It was cool to see someone who looked like me as a fucking superhero on the big screen. That made me very happy. I can't tell you how fucking good it felt to see someone like me portrayed as something way more than a drug dealer or a drug user or a criminal or a woman beater. It made me feel good to see someone portrayed in a positive light that looked like me. How do you think the uh, Latino uh, community is going to feel? Why wouldn't you put that on the big screen? You know how much fucking money you would make? You might make, make even more money than the Black Panther made, motherfuckers. I don't understand it. I don't fucking get it, man. I don't get it. I don't understand it at all. It doesn't make any sense to me, but at the same time, I'm down. I want to see Jaime Reyes on the big screen. I fuck with the Blue Beetle. Fuck yeah. Give it to me. I'm going to take it any way I can, but I, I just... I'm laughing, and when I say laughing, I'm like rage crying on the inside because how are you not just going to put him on the big screen? What the fuck is wrong with DC? Okay? But that's that's a tale for another time. We always want to keep this solo verse light and playful. We don't want to get dark and gritty. We want to keep this light and playful. And in the name of getting light and playful, let's move on to this next story. Comedic actor Mike Myers will play seven different characters in his upcoming Netflix series the penna what is that penna verte i don't know how the penna verte uh it's been over a decade since myers has had a starring role in anything aside from his short venture as host of the gong show for two seasons two seasons myers has also made brief appearances in bohemian rap city Bohemian Rhapsody, Terminal, and Glory and Inglorious Bastards. But to date, his career bears little to no resemblance to what it was throughout the 90s. After getting his start as a standout on SNL, Myers quickly found traction with the Wayne's World sketch that he and fellow comedian Dana Carvey had created. The two lovely idiotic metalhead characters, Wayne Campbell and Garth Alger, 
were responsible for sorting out for the sort of sarcastic humor that became a hallmark of 90s era comedy. Complete with several highly popular catchphrases, in time, Howard Myers graduated from Wayne's World, Wayne's World's brand of comedy, ultimately striking girl, I'm sorry, you guys. Ultimately striking gold with the Austin Powers franchise, in which he typically played numerous different roles to addition, in addition to that of Powers. To this day, fans of the spoof espionage films continue to await the arrival of Austin Powers 4. Good fucking luck with that. While it's hard to say when, if ever, there will be another Austin Powers film, recently Myers News... Recent Myers news from Collider is sure to be met by fans with excitement. Though still in its very early stages, what's known about Myers' new project project is that it is a six-episode limited series called the Pentaverte. Yeah, it's got to be Pentaverte. And it will release on Netflix. The new series will focus on a group of five men who have been controlling the world ever since the Black Plague in 1347 with a lone journalist threatening, threatening to expose their long-running secret. Myers is on, bur- on board in a big way, playing several different characters. The program's official synopsis reads as follows. What if a secret society of five men has been working to influence world events for the greater good since the Black Plague, 1347? As the new series begins, one unlikely Canadian journalist finds himself embroiled in a mission to uncover the truth and just possibly save the world himself. Remember, the Penaverte must never be exposed. So, the first question I have is, are Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers in some kind of odd competition to, uh, <laughs> see who can outdo the other in terms of how many fucking roles they take on. I mean, seven different roles. I mean, you know what? I haven't seen Michael Myers perform in a long time on the big or small screen. So I say, you know what? Let's go with it. Why not? I'm down. Like, why not? You know, I I always, uh, don't we all love a good comeback story? Yeah, I think we all do. So, you know, let's let's see what Mike Myers has. Let's see what he's got. And on that note, I'm sorry, I'm sure I had something cheeky to say, but I smoked it away. So we're just going to move on to the next bit of news. And this next bit of news, it's, it's the 10-year anniversary, at least it was. Uh, on the 10-year anniversary of MTV's Teen Wolf, it's revealed that Evan Peters and Noah... Santino auditioned to join the supernatural drama. You know, Teen Wolf, loosely based on the 1985 movie of the same name, Teen Wolf premiered on MTV in June 2011. The supernatural drama centered on Scott McCall, a young werewolf who defends his California town from dangerous forces. You would have never known that was California. I didn't even know it was California, and I'm from California. You would have never known that. I would have never known that until this. Uh, anyways from dangerous forces with the help of his friends. One of Scott's important friends, and indeed his closest companion, was Stiles Skolinski. Stilinski. I'm too stuffed up to talk. My nose is stuffy. Uh, the character was portrayed by Dylan O'Brien, and coming into the audition for the pivotal role, O'Brien didn't have a lengthy list of credits to his name and only offered a few links 
from his YouTube channel to showcase his abilities. Still, he managed to beat out several hopefuls to play one of Teen Wolf's most memorable characters to celebrate a decade since the debate the debate debut of Teen Wolf. Series creator Jeff Davis has revealed who all, who else tried out for the drama. Oh my god. Just smash my head in like a melon because I can't even talk today. Speaking with E! Online for the occasion, Davis shed light on some of the secrets behind the show's casting. Most notably, it was revealed that American Horror Story alum Evan Peters had auditioned for Styles. It was also mentioned that Noah Centino, who would go on to have his breakout performance and to tell all the boys I to into all the boys I loved before, tried out four times in the hopes of playing an unspecified character. Cameron Dallas, a YouTuber and actor, was another name among many auditioners. Given that Oberyn was a huge factor in the success of Teen Wolf, both in the eyes of fans and critics, it would have been interesting to see what Peters would have done with the character. There's no question Peters would have tapped into the darkness that Styles experiences in a season three arc when he becomes possessed by the Nogitsune. But so much of what made Teen Wolf work per practically, particularly in, er- in its earlier and more acclaimed seasons, was how well Oberyn took the archetype of a nebish, nebish best friend and made it into his own by excelling at both comedic and dramatic scenes. Davis notes while looking back at the MTV series that the relationship between Styles and Scott has the heart of the MTV, MTV show, perhaps that dynamic wouldn't have worked as well without the bond between Oberyn and Posey, as the duo had a natural sort of chemistry and even lived together for a time. And for his part, Peters has fared quite well, obviously. Only a year after Teen Wolf debated, Peters became a core cast member on American Horror Story, and he's played a variety of different characters on the anthology. More recently, the actor has garnered widespread praise for his performance in WandaVision and Mayor of Easttown. There's a certain amount of intrigue involved in potential casting, which never materializes, but in this case... It's a safe it's safe to say that things worked out for both Peters and Oberyn in the long run. And I'm gonna have to agree with that. I think things worked out perfectly. And I also think the only reason this episode is running fifty fucking minutes long almost is because I can't seem to fucking talk. And for that I apologize to you, ladies and gentlemen. I don't apologize to you, however, for unofficially on a oh my god. <laughs> unofficially sponsoring this podcast by Block 15 Sticky Hands. I think if this had been a PBR, with my super stuffy nose, I would not have been able to taste that, but I can still taste that fucking beer. Hoppy as fuck. Let's hop into the stickiness. Let's pop into the stickiness. Let's lock into the stickiness? Shoulder shrug, question mark, question mark. Block 15 Brewing Company, Sticky Hands. Get yourself some. And we move on. I saved the best for last for all you old heads out there. A sequel to the 1996 Peter and Bob Farley comedy Kingpin is currently in development at Village Roadshow Pictures. The original film starred Woody Harrelson, Bill Murray, and Randy Quaid and arrived at a time when the Farleys were coming off the monumental success of Dumb and Dumber. Though Kingpin was nowhere near the success that Dumb and Dumber was, it helped further raise the Farley's profile, the likes of which skyrocketed skyrocketed with the 99th release of There's Something About Mary. 
In recent years, Farley Brothers films have arguably lacked the magic that was offered in their earlier projects. Their mixture of goofy and subject matter and crass laughs was unique in its ability to genuinely charm audiences, and though there are more unmemorable Farley films than memorable ones, the films that did make an impact at the box office are largely considered comedic classics, with its tale of former star bowler Harrelson looking to find a shot of redemption via the talent of a clueless Amish bowler, Quaid, Kingpin wasn't exactly the follow-up that Dumb and Dumber fans have been hoping for. That being said, the passage of time has left an air of nostalgia around the film, and today, today largely thanks to the hilarious antagonism of Murray's Ernie, Big Ern McCracken, it retains the following. Despite being forgotten by many who weren't all that impressed with Kingpin the first time around, it now appears that a sequel is in the works according to Collider. The Farleys are behind the development of Kingpin 2, with the famed comedic... with the famed comedic filmmaking duo confirmed as producers. At present, there's no word as to whether or not the Farleys will end up either directing or writing the script, but for fans of the original film, the biggest takeaway is that an, is that an official follow-up is actually now in development. Beyond questions of what sort of involvement the Farleys will have on Kingpin 2, the next biggest issue is likely whether or not either Harold Sin or Murray will return. In recent years, Quaid has exiled himself from Hollywood, and his life has become a tangle of legal issues as well as conspiracy-ridden rants that are typically broadcast across social media and YouTube. In other words, it's highly doubtful that Quaid will have any part in, King, in a Kingpin sequel. As for Harrelson and, and Murray, excuse me, the beer has me a little burpy. Uh, as for Harrelson and Murray, however, there's no reason to believe that either of them won't at least consider a return. Unfortunately, the fact that the original film bombed could limit the amount of enthusiasm that Harrelson, who has become a bitch, uh, oh, I did not mean to call him a bitch, has become a much bigger star since 96. I'm sorry, Mr. Harrelson, that was an unfortunate slip. Uh, since 96, or Murray, can muster for the concept. Conversely, both Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels returned for the Farley's 2014 Dumb and Dumber sequel, but as previously mentioned, Dumb and Dumber was far more successful than Kingpin ever was. It's still currently very early days for Kingpin 2, with no indication as to what the plot can focus on or who will be involved and to what capacity. The smart move here, considering how poorly the film fared at the box office, would be for the Farleys to make this their next directorial debate. Or directorial effort. Sorry. Huh. Next directorial debate. Ha <laughs> ha. Jensen, you sound like an idiot. That wouldn't necessarily guarantee a hit, but fans of the original film would certainly feel more comfortable knowing that the Farleys were in charge. Only time will tell where this sequel goes, but for now at least, official news Kingpin of a Kingpin sequel is enough for all of those out there who have been waiting 25 years to see more. Damn, I haven't even seen the original Kingpin, uh... So I can't imagine waiting uh, two decades and a half to see a sequel come to fruition. I do remember seeing it like, if uh, this has to be the movie, because I remember Dennis Quaid and Woody Harrelson being in the scene. And I think I remember a fake hand being like lost with the bowling pin. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, hey. It worked for Eddie Murphy, 
and coming to America in terms of, you know, the sequel getting made. (coughs) I'm sorry. You guys already know how we feel about the coming to America 2 movie. So, uh, you know what? If things work out for the Farleys and they can get uh, Murray and Harrelson back, I know I I would figure that Murray would be the harder one to get versus... uh, Harrelson, he's been very picky and choosy with his movies, but you know what? I'm not them. As I said before, I'm just some random stuffy-nosed guy regurgitating news that I plucked off the internet. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, hey, look at that! Once again, we've done it. We've come to the end of another solo verse episode. I would like to thank anybody who stuck around this long to listen to me stumble my fucking way through this episode i am so pathetic you would think i haven't been doing this for three years you would think this is my first time but i'm getting annoyed by my own voice so i'm going to have to bid you adieu until next time the next episode should be the long-awaited review of season one and two friends from college once mr entertainment beyond gets back from his fucking vacation to save me we will do the damn thing Thank you very much. Peace the fuck out.